0: good to be together. I'm thankful to get to preach God's word to you. Um, I would just highlight the opportunity of next Sunday with the Chacos being here. Um, I've been associated with this church 20 years or more. And uh, I remember Raja and his family. And I would encourage you to come out for Sunday school to hear them present the work that they've been invited to do but partly because i want you to be encouraged i want you to realize that you will be somewhere 20 years from now that god's work in this congregation in your life through you with others who will be other places 20 years from now is real and it goes on and raja and um, his wife and one of his children they're setting out on this Is one of the fruits of god's work in this room So I would invite you to come be encouraged. I'd also invite you to come and hear about a work uh, far away, strange place, really robust. I'm familiar with the ministry, the team that they're joining there. And I think that you would find it encouraging. You get a window and look at what, what wondrous things God is doing. And again, that would make you think rightly, pray rightly, how you'll be useful going forward. It would make us think rightly about what God is doing here in this room and and round about from this room your household, your neighbors. So, do I encourage you to take that opportunity with us. Um, And they're just delightful people. You'll enjoy uh, getting to know them. So, if you would please open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3 I think that's 1169 in the Pew Bible. Um, Colossians chapter 3. And I have to make a revision to what it says in your bulletin. Um, We will get to 3, 5 through 7 and a sermon on God's wrath and faith. Uh, I think the next time I uh, preach for you in the Lord's Day. But uh, we need to is preparing and praying for this, I realize no, we need to take the big picture in first uh, to prepare us because we're about to work through chapter three and it's so extraordinarily rich. Um, but we have to get the basic point. What is Paul doing here? So um, here God's word chapter three in its entirety Yes. if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents, in everything but this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here ends the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father, we live in a time that thinks itself extraordinary and it is true we have extraordinary benefits prosperity safety the war for which our prayers are pulled up right now in Ukraine is a shock and a surprise to us we have been given such ease and we thank you but we are prone to think ourselves extraordinary and as if your word were not up to our standards, up to our needs, as if it could not speak to us. Now we know that is folly, Father. And we know that the sin that continues in us is sparked by it. I ask you would use your word, the preaching of your word to stir in up that stir up in us that wisdom, to strengthen us with your voice, the ancient voice that brought all things into being from nothing. the word of your power, your very own son. let him. By his spirit. Accomplish your glory. Our enjoyment of you. By your word in this time. Father we pray in your son. Amen. Christian here. God understands your temptations and gives you grace to fight against them. Faith in Christ is not the wise opinion of good people, it is the real salvation of bad people. Christian, here, you must recognize the danger of ordinary discouragement in order to enjoy heavenly life now. Before you begin to understand Paul's instruction in Colossians 3 and 4, you need to recognize that he does not give you mere information. He gives you medicine. You live on the earth in the midst of the corruption and the futility produced by sin. But real glory and victory in Christ is yours now in the middle of ordinary dysfunction you must recognize your temptation to discouragement in order to enjoy the courage and confidence that is yours in Christ. In weeks to come, we will unfurl the richness of Christ in these verses, but first, you must see your temptation to live in spiritual poverty and your vulnerability to ridiculous religious get-rich-quick schemes. You don't need some secret some advantage, some spiritual Ponzi scheme. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has you. We just listened to Colossians chapter 3. And you need to understand the structure of Paul's teaching, the purpose of the whole here. We will work through it in weeks to come, but first, you need to understand what Paul is accomplishing. He is not here giving a general theological summary. He is turning you away from the foolishness of attempting to be a good enough Christian. Paul understands your temptations and gives you grace to fight against them. Faith in Christ is not the wise opinion of good people. It is the real salvation of bad people. Look at your Bible with me. I want you to notice these key words they reveal Paul's agenda. Medicine, not discouragement. Verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Therefore, this is a conclusion, not just a command. Verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved. And actually the word then there. It's the same word translated, there for above. So just like verse 5, verse 12 is a conclusion, not just a command. This is reasoning. A result of reality, not just a rule. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Grammatically, this is a benediction. This is a a declaration before it gives you any kind of direction. And verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, a benediction. And your behavior is an outcome, an implication, as it were, the second bounce. One of the obvious points of Paul's letter of the Colossians is this. Christians must be defended against corrupting and counterfeit Christianity. That is why Paul wrote to them, as your teaching elder, I want to defend you against the invitation of Roman Catholicism, the puffing up of free will religiosity, and the superheated posturing of Pentecostalism, and all the halfway versions that strut around under the name of evangelicalism. Grace, Presbyterian Church's Reformed Congregation, Holy of the Convictions of the Westminster Standards, Not so we can be the rightest, smartest, betterest, most accurate, cool kids on the block. I urge you towards these convictions because I want you to thrive in Christ. And bring glory to Christ without pride or insecurity. But it is not enough. For me to debunk the false teaching that you overhear on Christian radio its not enough to counter the kind of superstition offered to you often by Christians who appear better than you, more serious than you, more profoundly plugged into God's glory than you. There are two sides you know How Christians go astray. Yes, there is false teaching, but first, there is ordinary discouragement. In Colossians 2, Paul does the passionate work of debunking the false teaching that pulled at the Colossians. He attacks and exposes and mocks the invitation to become a good enough Christian. But false teaching only gets a grip on you because you've already been befuddled and blunted by discouragement, by ordinary discouragement. Even without pumping up some wonderful, invigorating claim to super-spirituality, your faith can grow weak and confused and discouraged. Such fading into Christian gray and vague is not unusual. It fits where we live. Chapter 2 was negative, dismantling the false teaching. Chapter 3 is positive, building you up to meet the ordinary discouragement of the Christian life. And I need to put in a, a, a distinction here, a recognition. There are ordinary discouragements. And there are extreme, extraordinary discouragements. You may suffer betrayal of a person dear, a person woven into your life. And that is full of temptation and discouragement along with grief and confusion. You may suffer ongoing, difficult, physical mal. Think of our brother Andreas. He's he's had this wonderful surgery. And boy, is it being hard, his recovery. You know people with that sort of extraordinary discouragement where things happen in the midst of business and such, and it's real. But Paul here does not mention those things. He's talking about ordinary discouragement. Now, verse 5 and verse 12 hinge on that word, therefore. And again, your ESV has the word then at verse 12, but in Greek, I speak like a magician. No, it's just it's clear, simple, not the work of some brilliance. The word's the same. Paul's doing the same thing. It hinges on the word, therefore. And if you don't recognize what Paul is doing in the larger letter of Colossians, Those two therefores can mislead you. See, in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, therefore, that same word, it marks a transition in the entire letter. There the therefore shifts you, broadly speaking, from theology to ethics. 12.1 of Romans and 4.1 of Ephesians, it moves you from the discussion of what to believe to what do you do, how do you do. Both those letters are more neatly understood as a general theological summary, an account of Paul's general teaching. Doctrine, therefore doing. But in Colossians, the logic is more specific. Paul uses that word, therefore, to explain the alternative to ordinary discouragement. He's addressing addressing the dynamics of the Christian life and how you can be worn down. When Paul turns the corner of therefore in Romans and Ephesians, he generally takes up the rules that come from the reality of Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3, the therefore doesn't just introduce the rules. Instead, Paul is showing you the realities of Christ, which make the rules not just a remedy, but a relief. They aren't just directions. They are the opposite of discouragement. Look at how Paul addresses sin in Colossians 3. He is not systematic. He doesn't bring up the Ten Commandments. He doesn't give a general framework. He really only takes up two sins the violation of marriage and the violent anger that would abuse another person with fits of anger. Immorality and rage violate the sixth and seventh commandment. And, and then the ninth commandment, in terms of lying, Nietzsche specifically mentioned. But he doesn't reference sin in general. Or pull your attention to think about all the sins. He's not talking about sin in general. But the sins that seemed most natural and legitimate to the Colossians as Gentiles. The ones that people could say, yeah, well, we know. That's how it is. He's not addressing all sins, but... Besetting sins, the ones that mock you, those are the sins that have Paul's attention. Christian, here, God understands your temptations and gives you grace to fight against them. Faith in Christ is not the wise opinion of good people. It is the real salvation of bad people. Christians, here, you must recognize the reality of ordinary discouragement in order to enjoy heavenly life now. Paul focuses on your temptation to discouragement by the most ordinary of things. Paul is protecting you by addressing what is most likely to pull you down as a Christian. Yes, you must beware of false teaching, corrupted and counterfeit Christianity, but it is your ordinary discouragement that makes you vulnerable. So let's look at what Paul takes head-on. Your personal sins, the sins of other church members, and the ordinary quality of day-to-day life. These are the place where you're tempted to ordinary discouragement. These are the things that we consider obvious not addressable, that will trip you up. First, discouragement will rule you if you don't repent of sins regularly and repeatedly. But verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You may think or whisper, there's the occasion where you will shout, "How, How, How? I can't kill it. If I, if I' kill it, I wouldn't need to keep killing it again again. The continued reality of your sin can make you cynical about Christ's victory. You can give up. You decide killing your son your sin is just, obvious, obviously unrealistic. So you decide to keep your sins small enough to avoid embarrassment. You don't kill your sins, you house-drain them. You feel shame and you feel defeated, but you don't have to feel embarrassed in front of other people. No. Make a truce with sin? You, You don't kill it so it won't embarrass you? will you ever rejoice? And that quiet misery is not only the opposite of what belongs to you in Christ. That misery makes you vulnerable to false teaching. People will sell you on the idea that grace means your life and heart don't have to change because, well, they obviously can't. This is a surrender to sin with only an aspiration to avoid public exposure. And frankly, this is common. This inconspicuous discouragement because of sin, not fought, is wearying. But there's actually a worse alternative. You can find a secret, spiritual silver bullet, a magical practice that makes you able to never sin. Or at least never sin enough to be really sinning. This is the offer of perfectionism, and, and sometimes... This is what's in counseling that's given under the name of Christ. You don't have victory, but you don't have defeat. You have an excuse and a good reputation. This is discouragement. It does not revel in Christ's present work, And he has better for you. Second, discouragement will rule you if You can't live affectionately with the sinfulness of your fellow Christians. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Other Christians are like you. Even if they put their sins to death, they will be sinning and killing sin over and over, and sometimes slower than slow. Does this mean that Christ's kingdom is stuck? Does this mean that godliness and glory and goodness are only really available after you die? No. No, no. No. But without Paul's instruction, you will develop a low-grade annoyance. And a disdain for other Christians. Does their sin mean you should withdraw to your own private Christian island? What do you do with the brother who thinks that our president, Joseph Biden, is awesome? What do you do when well, he expresses his appreciation for our withdrawal from Afghanistan? Some of you think he's wrong, duped, and somewhere down that list colluding with Planned Parenthood as the rot of our society. Do you, do you demand he get right? Do you despise him to his face? Your spouse? Do you murmur politely about him? What do you do with the brother who thinks that Black Lives Matter is a Marxist plot destroying the family in America? He really doesn't think that this police officer or that celebrity or some other atrocious anything is a scandal or a grief beyond the extraordinary. Do you go to another congregation? Do you decide to make your faith a very serious, a very private life, the websites and the podcasts and the Christians you admire like you apparently admire yourself? If living with sinful Christians, worship and service and congregational dinners seems impossible to you, then you've given way to discouragement. You need what Paul is teaching. And watch out. If you don't settle for being a very serious Christian on the soul level, then yes, you'll just find a group of good enough Christians. Paul preaches a Christ who gobbles up your discouragement and invites you to believers as sinful as yourself you need the sweetness of Colossians chapter 3 or your high-mindedness will be sour and not just for the lame Christians that you step back from. Third, discouragement will rule you if your life of other Christians politely silences the truth claims and obligations that you receive from Christ. Of course, you want the peace of Christ in your hearts. Verse 15 says, To which indeed you were called in one body. You want Christ in your life, present and speaking. But verse 16 points that that happens in the teaching and admonishing that goes on between brothers and sisters. If you hold yourself aloof from fellowship with believers like yourself, other knuckleheads and repenters, you won't enjoy the peace or the word of Christ. Your life will feel secular and materialistic and godless. Again, either you will trudge along, alone, disgruntled, and superior, or you will go looking for a supergroup of good enough Christians who are as good as you pretend to be. If you don't fall into some false teaching or another, you will simply fall into discouragement and narcissism. The risen Christ has better for you. I've spoken a warning to you. You can be dragged down with discouragement. This is what Paul is overturning for the Colossians. His intervention. He is so confident. In the spirit that comes with the gospel that is given to those who have nothing but Christ. And I'm giving you this warning so that you can see you don't have to be dragged down with discouragement. Paul did not write to discourage you, but rather to sober you. Discouragement is, is typical It is in the air because in a real way, its basic ingredients are in our hearts. But Christ came to deliver you from the trajectory of your corrupt nature. Be sober. There is abundant reason for unbelief to be discouraged. But the Lord Jesus is greater than your corruption. Be sobered about yourself so that you may rejoice in Christ. Paul is not just declaring truths in Colossians 3. He is intervening. He knows that you are exposed and that you must have the Spirit's work. That is why he begins with these words. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. In weeks to come, we will work through Paul's teaching slowly and carefully. You have died with Christ and risen with him. The heavenly things are rightly yours. The heavenly things where Christ is they are yours. To, to be succinct, you do not need to be a better Christian. Christ has already been better in your place. Must you kill your sins? Christ already has been seed in victory over sin in the heavenly place. That victory is yours. Must you put on compassion and forgiveness for sins? Christ has already been received. the priest forever forgives sin. Abundant forgiveness is yours. Must you find peace in Christ's word among you? Christ already has joined you to himself. His peace and his presence and his prospering are yours by gift. You do not need to be a good enough Christian. The Lord Jesus is a good enough Savior from wicked men and women. Do not be discouraged. Feed on Christ. Even if you feel desperately hungry for Christ. He's not offended by your weakness, the hollowness of your cheeks, or your ravenous wanting. He gives you your life, that is his victory Father, you have put extraordinary promises on your word. And only extraordinary things will suffice for us. Life from the dead. The justification of the wicked. Liars who delight in triumph, the truth. your enemies turn in willingness because this is love that you sent your own son that he destroyed the works of the devil and so we love you work as you promise we ask glorify your son amen